So today I'd like to kind of start with something that's a little bit uh, uh, meaty and a big picture at the beginning of a Bible study. So some of you might recognize here the words of C.S. Lewis who said, well, we can eat. Jesus was either Lord, liar, lunatic, and now I've added a fourth because this is a recent challenge that he was a, a legendary figure. So um, that'll be our discussion um, here today. All right, so let's pray as we begin. Dear Father, so many times in the Bible you encouraged our questions and especially you encourage us to seek to know you better, to understand who you are. And Jesus even told us that eternal life is to know you. So during this Bible study, that's, that's really what we're seeking is to understand you better, to understand your actions in the Bible and in our own lives. Um, none of us have a, a perfect picture of who you are. So please help us all to learn together as we go through the Bible and uh, discuss questions about you. Amen. <coughs> all right, so I thought it's maybe helpful for the first-year students just to understand a little bit um, the history of this Bible study, um, which uh, the first opportunity I had to go through this with medical students was in 2003. And so we tried to do it every two years. We'd get through the whole Bible. And it turns out there are just fewer and fewer noon sessions on Thursday uh, became more difficult to do that. So uh, we did a, a four-year trip um, through the Bible, 2009 to 2013. And so this is where we are now. We last year went through from Genesis to Jonah in the Old Testament. We didn't cover everything. Uh, for example, we left out the book of Job, um, which is a great book to talk about but uh, we might come back and, uh, and pick that up in, in a few other places. So we're going to um, start out by doing John. Um, I think I will tell you next week why I would like to do that. And then we'll pick up here with the story in the Old Testament. Um, so just for some of you, if you're interested, uh, someone recorded these for me uh, back in 2009 to 2013. That doesn't show up very well, but you can find them on godscharacter.com if you are interested. And I really am uh, receptive and appreciate emails. So if things come up that just you have questions or you know a sense of direction or things that you would like discussed, um, it's helpful for me to get some feedback. So feel free to um, email me. All right, so where should we go? What would be a big picture thing to discuss? So I just put up here some things that are challenges to faith and um, just we could go in, in a number of different directions. I think probably the biggest, perhaps, that would cause people to toss the whole idea of a God is the, the theodicy problem of an all-powerful, all-loving God. That's the claim. And then we have things that God would seem to have the power to prevent, but he doesn't. This horrible picture of a, a boy starving um, here in Africa, and there is a vulture. That, that is a, a huge issue. We will spend a lot of time, probably when we get to Jeremiah, uh, we will talk about that. Um, of course, um, uh, recently, a lot of discussion about creation and evolution. Uh, we might have a chance to um, touch on that a little bit. I showed a picture here of DNA uh, because Watson and Crick you know, were quite harsh about people that would believe in God. And so there's kind of sometimes appears to be some tension between faith and science. Okay, we will definitely spend some time on, on those issues as we go through this year. And a lot of books that are written and a lot of fun that is made about people who claim to be Christians that don't seem to act in Christ-like ways that, that can be challenging. And what we're going to focus on today, because for me this is really, if I had to just 
put my anchor in one place, it would be if we don't believe that we have the story, the words, the life of Jesus, if that is not an accurate telling, I, I don't know where to go from there. So I, for me, I have to believe that Jesus was a real person, that we have the words recorded, that he really existed, and there have been some challenges to that recently. Bart Ehrman, um, actually, if any of you like listening to the great courses, you know, you can download all these uh, college lectures, and, and I've enjoyed those. He does about half of the Christian lectures in the great courses, and his basic point is that Jesus was just one of many failed apocalyptic prophets during this time, and nothing more special than that. So we're going to talk about this a little bit today. So again, for me, uh, we could put up many verses here, but this is where I would like to say, if I'm going to hold on to one thing, uh, this would be it. So the Gospel of John here in the first chapter, <coughs> no one has ever seen God and, of course, we have all these revelations in the Old Testament of people that saw God. God came and ate with Abraham, and he talked with Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. <clears throat> but I think what John is saying here is, you know, no one has really seen God. And in comparison to the revelation of Jesus, no one has seen God. So no one has ever seen God, but the only Son who is the same as God and is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And it's so redundant in John that why did Jesus come? He came to make God known to us. He came to reveal to us what God is like. Okay, and in another translation, no one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So the one who came, I think we can make a really good case for this, which we'll do next time. Uh, we can think of Jesus, at least I think of Jesus, as God with skin on. He was God in human form. And that's a, that's a pretty big claim okay, that is disputed, but I think uh, the Gospel of John encourage us, encourages us to think along those lines. Okay, so we're going to talk about challenges specifically related to Jesus and can we really believe the story that we have in the Gospels. Okay, so one uh, popular um, thing, a lot of books written recently, is that the Gospels are inaccurate, inconsistent, and unreliable. I, I just had a patient fairly recently that came in uh, with a book pointing out all the inaccuracies in the, this just in the New Testament and, and he told me, boy, I believed a lie my whole life and now let me tell you about my headaches. And of course, I'm wanting to, no, no, let's, let's come back and we you know, talk about this. <laughs> but, so I wish he were here and I could uh, make a case um, for the... Um, for the reliability of the Gospels. But this comes up quite frequently. Um, for seven years, I worked with a, a Jewish neurologist who was uh, just a great person, really enjoyed him, and we had a number of discussions about this. And every time I tried to make some you know, claim or statement about the, uh, the Gospels or something that Jesus um, said, he would usually come back and say, no, Brad, something 2,000 years ago, uh, how can you really claim that, uh, that those words are uh, reliable. So for him, again, this was another um, big issue. And actually in the scholarly world, um, this is, uh, it may be the predominant view of the Gospels, that they were written long after the fact and that they had meaning primarily for the local Christian communities. So in other words, there was a John community, a Matthew community, and the Gospels were written for those communities. And so we, we have some perhaps myths that are in there, but they were important for that community. So that would have some, I think, some negative implications if that were true. 
you know, we read this and we want to, you know, uh, really believe that Jesus said that, he really did that, uh, this would seem to, to go against that. So again, who was Jesus? We could say who is Jesus, but we're in this lecture going to discuss the historical Jesus and ask some questions about that. Um, again, I have all these conversations with patients and physicians that I'm just reminded of. Um, at the VA, I work with uh, two neurologists who are um, Hindus, and uh, we have these discussions, and they think highly of Jesus, but more along this line. He's, he was a good moral teacher. Or, again, as Bart Ehrman would say, he's just one of many failed apocalyptic preachers that lived during that time. This was a common theme, the, the life of Jesus. He was just one of those. Okay, so that's where we're going today. So the, the words of C.S. Lewis, I think it's worth reading in Mere Christianity because I think this is a good argument. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I think we'll see as we go through the Gospel of John, there are just statements there that, I mean, if he's just a, a good teacher, this is just something that you wouldn't say. They're very radical claims um, that Jesus makes. So, Lord, liar, or lunatic, but now, more recently, there's been um, another challenge, and that is that Jesus was a legendary figure like King Arthur, Robin Hood. Well, maybe those people really existed, but we're not sure. They may be more legendary. And uh, so, this individual, um, there are some seminars called the Jesus Seminars that have been quite popular, and, and they discuss that, again, Jesus was uh, really just a, a legendary figure. So this individual would write that this is a false trilemma, C.S. Lewis's trilemma. It overlooks a fourth option, Lord, liar, lunatic, or legend. How do we know that the Gospels are an accurate record of events? What if Jesus' words and deeds were greatly exaggerated or even outright invented by later writers? Okay, so we're going to spend quite a bit of time just um, talking about this one. Because as we go through the Gospels, I'd like to at least make a claim going forward that Jesus actually did these things, that Jesus actually said these things, and that we can rely on that. Okay, so let's, let's start with the first one here, that the Gospels are inaccurate, inconsistent, and unreliable. And just as resources, these are the two best books probably that I've read on this subject. Um, Richard Bauckham, who was out here at Loma Linda several years ago, um, I actually had a chance to interview him for the medical student Bible study, so that was kind of fun. And Greg Boyd, uh, here with Paul Eddy wrote a really good book. So if you want to get into this in more depth, uh, these two are probably where I got a lot of the, the material for this lecture. Okay, so um, if anyone walks out after 10 minutes, you're going to get the wrong impression. Okay, so let me just bring up some things that are listed as inconsistent inaccuracies in the Old Testament. Okay, and then but please give me a chance to, um, to say something about that. All right. So uh, when we read, uh, for example, in the beginning of Matthew, we read that there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, 14 from then to uh, the Messiah. And it seems, you know, really neat. You've got 14, 14, 14. And um, 
So, you know, we read through all the specific names. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, First Chronicles, and you, you, you know, find in these same names here, um, you see that uh, between Jehoram and Az- Aziah, there were actually three other um, individuals. So that's something occasionally brought up. It actually wasn't 14, 14, 14. We have these other uh, people in here. All right, so is that a concern? What do we do with that? Um, who would be another? Actually, Matthew probably has more of these than the other Gospels, okay, where Jesus said, as a result, the punishment for the murder of all innocent people will fall on you, from the murder of innocent Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered. So we go back to the Old Testament. Uh, we look for this story in the Old Testament, and we discover that it was actually Jehoiada was the father, not Berechiah. And we can make a really good case for this here in the Old Testament. So we have two different names. Okay? And again, does this destroy our faith? We want to say the Bible is unreliable, inaccurate because of this uh, discrepancy. Well, of course, this gets to our view of inspiration, but uh, what do we do with, with some of these apparent uh, discrepancies? Um, another in Matthew, where the, the words are, then what the prophet Jeremiah said came true, talking about the, the 30 coins. And you go to Jeremiah and you won't find any reference to the 30 coins that were paid for Jesus. Um, this is in, uh, found in the book of Zechariah, not Jeremiah. Um, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is told in Matthew and it's told in Luke. And in Matthew, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. And then it goes on from there. In Luke, it is just happy are you poor. And it's, it's the same sermon. Okay, so what did he actually say? Um, well, maybe he said this you know, on two different occasions, but um, on the Sermon on the Mount, which, which one was it? Um, I went through uh, a number of years ago with the Gospels and tried to really put together a, a chronology as best as I could. And so I'm just going to compare a little bit of that with you. Um, first looking at Matthew, where Jesus calms the storm. Okay, then he gets to the other side in this location and he's met by two men who came out of the burial caves, men who had demons in them. Okay, now if we read the exact same account, clearly it's the same story in Luke, he calms the storm and then he gets to the same place and then he's met by a man from the town. So was it one or was it two? Um, comparing Matthew and Mark uh, very carefully uh, is interesting. Um, here in Matthew, Jesus speaks a third time about his death and then the wife of Zebedee comes and says, can my son sit at your right and left side? Um, if we read about this in Mark, Jesus speaks a third time about his death and now it is James and John who come and say, can we sit at your right side? Okay, so there are just slight differences. Um, but I think it's, it's at least good to discuss this now rather than to have this brought up later and, and completely destroy your faith. So we're trying to grapple with uh, what the meaning is. So let's just follow this progression. It's really interesting between Matthew and Mark. And uh, so both times Jesus speaks a third time about his death, both times in Matthew and Mark, following the chronology in both books, there's a request to sit at Jesus' right side. And in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus says these wonderful, wonderful words that like the Son of Man who did not come to be served but to serve. Same thing in Mark. Okay, so I'm just making the case that we are following 
chronologically the story both in Matthew and Mark. And so after this, in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus leaves Jericho. And in the Matthew account, um, two blind men who are sitting by the road call out to Jesus. Okay, if we follow that same uh, account in Mark, now it is a single blind man named Bartimaeus. Okay, so again, was it two? Was it one? Does it matter? So all scripture is inspired by God, and this is certainly a statement that I would agree with. But that being true, again, how do we um, understand the, the events? Good, and you actually have a great segue here to, to my next point, and then I'll get to your uh, hand there. Um, and Richard Bauckham in his book says, actually these slight variations shouldn't shake our faith, they should strengthen our faith in the Gospels because uh, they are characteristic of eyewitness accounts, people that were really there and saw the event. Um, as an example, uh, just as a neurologist, one of the most frequent uh, conditions where I need to take a history, not just from the patient, patient doesn't remember the event, but then that is epilepsy. So I need to call witnesses. And, uh, and it is just amazing that when you talk with three people that witnessed one event, you do not get the same description. You know, the seizure lasted 30 seconds. Seizure lasted two minutes. Seizure lasted seven minutes. They were all right there. Seizure was in the kitchen. Seizure, seizure was between the kitchen and the living room. Seizure was in the living room. And, you know, it, uh, it can seem like, well, how? You were all there, right? But the more you listen to people that witnessed one event, the more you see um, these variations. And that that is characteristic of a believable eyewitness account. In fact, I had one um, situation years ago uh, where this was part of a... Um, well, it's a long story, but the description of the witnesses was all identical. And it was so identical that it was very odd how identical it was. And it turned out that this was a case of malingering where someone was suing and was trying to get money from Stater Brothers for falling and hitting his head and having seizures. And so it was the fact that the accounts were identical that raised a red flag that you know, something's up here. This doesn't quite match. Was there another hand in the back there? Yeah, now, in the process of inspiration, I would see God as being very, very involved, as you said, in the mind of the person who's writing it down, more than 10 medical students writing their observations you know, of a lecture. So I want to have God very involved in that process, and I, I believe that, that he is. But I think the, the point is, in the Bible, we get the story of God's dealing with the whole problem of rebellion, and we have God's character revealed and all of these things, I think we really can um, rely on the Bible. And these little differences don't bother me. Oh, just one other thing, the, the Matthew. Let's just, say that, um, let's just say that Matthew remembered the wrong father of Zechariah. Um, I don't think that, that should ruin everything for us. I mean, today, if we're researching something like this, you know, we all have you know, 30 Bibles in our home or access to Internet, and we can pull all these things up. Um, they didn't have a lot of scrolls in that time, and I'm not troubled if Matthew, as he's writing the story of what Jesus did, there's so many Zacharias in the Old Testament that he just remembered the, the name of the wrong father of Zechariah. Okay, that doesn't ruin the whole Bible, at least as, as I understand it. So I like your interpretation. Jesus works with humanity. The, the Bible is a product of God and humans coming together, and I think it is perfect in the sense of what it tells us about God and and um, his character. 
a couple of other things uh, along those lines. Was God in the pen or in the mind of the individual? And in, as I understand it, you know, inspiration involves God diffusing the mind with this information, bringing these events back to mind of the p- p- person writing it very clearly, okay, but, but uh, not uh, dictated. And here's just one example. We could bring up many of a verse that I just can't see this being dictated by God. This is Paul in writing in 1 Corinthians. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. No one can say then that you are baptized as my disciples. Oh yes, I also baptized Stephanus and his family, but I can't remember whether I baptized anyone else. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit of truth certainly remembered exactly you know, who Paul baptized. But this is not critical. We have Paul uh, writing this description. And uh, again, that doesn't go against inspiration. Okay, I'm going to skip this one and move on here to the next one. That uh, the Gospels were written long after the fact and had meaning primarily for local Christian communities. Um, were the Gospels written long after the fact? Well, it's interesting the way it's described here. If we go to the end of John, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. So it would seem that John is saying, hey, I was the one who was there and I'm writing this down. And if we go to 1 John, look at the eyewitness feel. I think if there's one thing to take away from this lecture, it is that I think a lot of scholarly work recently is saying, well, actually, just in terms of the Gospels as, as literature, they're eyewitness accounts. They're written as eyewitness accounts. They're not written as things about King Arthur and Robin Hood. They're written in the form of an eyewitness account. So John here would say, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, who we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. We've seen him. He was revealed to us. We are telling you what we've actually seen and heard. This is what an eyewitness, how they would uh, describe things. That makes it very believable. Um, And also Luke, who was not an eyewitness, but just the, the way Luke goes about opening his gospel, it's very careful. I talked with the people who were there. So, dear Theophilus, many people have done their best to write a report of the things that were taking place. They wrote what we've been told by those who saw these things from the beginning and who proclaimed the message. And so, because I've carefully studied these matters from the beginning, I thought it would be good to write an orderly account for you. So you get the idea here of Luke interviewing and really being very careful. Let's put together a really orderly account Um, of the people who were there, the witnesses. Now here is, uh, I just find this very compelling, at least for me, there's actually a name for it. It's called the embarrassment factor. And it is uh, things that are there in the Gospels that you would certainly leave out. I mean, they would only be there if they're true. Okay? And let me just list a few of those. Well, in contrast to ancient records. So if we're going back to ancient kingdoms, Um, and you want to find out about the history of all of their battles, um, you can't just read the records of that nation because guess what? They took out all the battles where they lost. So you only get a record of all the victories. So you need to get the history of all the surrounding nations to put together a more realistic picture of what happened. Okay, the Gospels are not written that way. Just for example, Jesus' interactions with women in a male-dominated society, um, why would anyone choose to make up these stories. I mean, they hated Samaritans, but a Samaritan woman? Remember how the disciples were offended at this? I mean, you wouldn't make up a story like that. The Canaanite heathen woman, uh, the woman caught in adultery, 
I mean, uh, a story that was, I think, unthinkable in that time. And, okay, let's make up the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, let's just make that up. But would anyone even think, well, let's have the men scared to death in a locked room and let's have the women down there at the tomb at the resurrection. Um, You know, who wouldn't enter anyone's mind to have the women, the brave ones that are there at the tomb? That just gives it a ring of credibility. Okay, we have odd statements. Now, we we can discuss the meaning of these odd statements. My only point is that they're there and it gives some credibility. Why do we have Jesus saying to the man, why do you call me good? Or that we have Jesus continually being accused of having a demon? Or would we make up Jesus hanging up out with tax collectors and prostitutes? We're trying to make Jesus a credible figure, you know, for, for our society. Would we make that up? Or just odd statements. Jesus is in a place and we have the statement he was not able to perform any miracles there. Okay, why is that? Um, and a- after the resurrection, here's a really odd statement. Okay, why is it there? That the 11 disciples went to the hill in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, even though some of them doubted. Okay, I think you just, why would you think to write that some of them doubted whether he really resu- was really resurrected? Well, I guess some of them did. Okay, so it gives some credibility. Um, again, that no one expected the coming Messiah to serve. Okay, so it's just counter to their idea. You have even Jesus' family saying he's gone mad. Okay, it's not something you want to put in there if you're trying to convince people that Jesus is someone special. And we can, you know, discuss the meaning, but again, would you want to instill confidence in someone who was killed on a Roman cross and saying his dying words are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, now there's a deep meaning, I think, to this, but um, it superficially wouldn't seem to instill a lot of confidence in Jesus. And we have the disciples. Again, if you're reading things about King Arthur or other legendary figures, the followers are always heroes also. Uh, Not so with the disciples. Uh, They are really quite um, dull, I have to say, when you go through the Gospels. So, you know, we have Jesus saying to Peter, get away from me, Satan. Okay? You wouldn't want that in there if you had something to do with you know, how the book of Matthew was coming together. What's Thomas known as? Doubting Thomas. Okay? We have Jesus saying things like, love your enemies, and then we just turn over the page, and the disciples say, shall we call down fire from heaven on them? You know? So, same thing. We have Jesus in Mark 6, end of the chapter, feeding 5,000, and then there's another large group of people that come together in Mark 8, and the disciples say, boy, what, what could we possibly do to feed all of these people? And Jesus seems to drag the conversation out a little bit. Well, what do you think? Take a lot of money. And then he just does it again. You know, so the disciples just, just seem quite dull when you read through the Old Testament. <laughs> um, this one I read earlier. I just find it interesting that the wife of Zebedee came to Jesus and asked, can my sons sit at your right and left side? And, uh, you know, how would you like the most read book in human history and the story is that your mom came and asked Jesus, can, can my son sit at your right side? It's a little bit embarrassing. So that's one factor. Another that, uh, that I find quite compelling is the details and the names. And I have to go through this quickly, but this is not at all like anything you find in the Gnostic Gospels, uh, how detailed they are. So on the way they met a man named Simon, 
who was coming into the city from the country. So we have these details about where he's coming and going. Soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was from Cyrene and was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Um, when you consider all of these details about names and fathers and where they were coming from, um, it, it just seems like, well, he really was that individual there that is being described. And so detailed. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the wife of Zebedee, so many family members that are tied together with these people. Again, it's not just a blind beggar, but he has a name, and we know the name of his father also. So um, the disciples made a connection with this person, and they found out who his father was, so they, they put it down there. Um, just, uh, just as we read through, like for example in Mark, the, the many details... So it was two days before the Passover. The chief priests and teachers of the law wanted to arrest Jesus. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon, a man who had a dreaded skin disease. And then we have the woman that is coming. Um, it is just written in the way of someone who actually witnessed this and just described the people that were there. Um, same thing with Luke. It just, it's, it's all the way through. That uh, if any of this were not true... I mean, no one's disputing these things, these historical um, figures, not, not to my knowledge. That in Luke, it was the 15th year of the rule of Emperor Tiberius. We know where Pontius Pilate was. We know where Herod was. His brother Philip was here. Licinius was ruling Abilene. An Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. At that time, we have John, son of Zechariah. Uh, the, the multitude, the layers of details are just very, very impressive. Okay, another point is just on the names. And I just read about this recently and, and was, was quite excited about this. So again, the claim is, well, the Gospels were written hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. Matthew maybe in, and Mark in Syria. Luke was written in Rome. John somewhere in Asia Minor. Okay, But I just want you to imagine you're going to make up a story about something that happened a few hundred years ago. Okay, Let's maybe make it England or something like that. Um, how good would you be at picking names that were common for that time? I think it would be very, very difficult to pick a common name that would have been used in that time. We might have, you know, be able to come up with a few, okay, but to come up with a list of them would be quite difficult. So I'm sorry this is not a very good slide, but um, the, someone is actually, this was not as part of a religious project at all, but they went through to find out common names in different times in history. And so this is their list for common names during the time of Jesus. So we can pull this up from Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, Bone Boxes, the Book of Josephus, other resources. And so here we have a list of the names, you know, not, there's no disputing this, that were common during the time of Jesus. And so we just go through the top names here. Simon, Joseph, Lazarus, Judas, John, Jesus, Ananias, Matthew, I mean, they are the common names that we have in the New Testament. And here is how many individuals we have in the New Testament that have that name. And we can see a pretty good correlation um, between names that were common in that time and names that are used in the New Testament. So the top two men's names during that time were Simon and Joseph. Okay, so 15.6% of all names in that area were either Simon or Joseph and 18.2% of names in the Old Testament or in the, the Gospels are Simon and Joseph. And such a good correlation, again, between the top nine men's names in that time with what we see in the Gospel. I mean, you couldn't come up with a, a closer relationship there. So, for example, when we have a common name like that, Simon, that's why 
the Bible goes to so much effort here to tell us which Simon it is, it being the most common name. So it's always Simon, Peter or Cephas, Simon the Zealot, Simon the Leper, Simon the Cyrene, Simon the Tanner, because that's how we'll be able to distinguish which of the Simons it is that we're talking about. Okay? And again, very different if you look at the Gospel of Thomas and Judas. I won't go through this, but do you recognize any of those names there? So the, the Gnostic uh, Gospels are, are very, very different. So again, the question here is, which is easier to remember, names or stories? Um, you know, there are so many medical students here, and, and so I frequently will run into a student at, um, you know, a restaurant or something like that, and I'm usually pretty good if I've talked with that student, I can remember what it was we talked about, but I'm not good at all with names, okay? So I can remember the story, but not the name very well. And so what I would say here is names are difficult, frequently difficult details um, to remember, not so with stories. So if the Gospels get the names, the details right, wouldn't that suggest that it gets the story right also? That's the point. <coughs> okay, let me just uh, finish with one other point, um, I think, to, to make the case, and that is the number of superfluous details in the gospel, which is further support of an eyewitness account of people that were really there. Okay, so, you know, descriptions like in Mark, that they were in their boat getting their nets ready, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Okay, it's a little detail about who's where, what they're doing. It doesn't seem really important to the story. Superfluous details. Uh, do we need to know that the people sat down in rows in groups of 100 and groups of 50? Um, not really, but that's what happened, and so they just wrote it down that way. Um, that Simon Peter dragged the net ashore full of big fish and 153 in all. Okay? Now, I actually was at a conference once, <laughs> uh, embarrassed to say this, but someone tried to add that number to some prophetic time and figure out if maybe it might be significant or something. Um, no, they just, they counted the fish and it was, uh, <laughs> there were 153, it was kind of cool, so they wrote it down. And there's no more meaning than that. It's a superfluous detail, but it tells us this was an eyewitness account. So the details in fictional fabricated stories are frequently relevant, okay? That usually supports a fictional fabricated story. The details in historical real events are frequently, not always, um, irrelevant because the person is just writing down what they saw and heard. So C.S. Lewis concluded that he's been reading poems, vision literature, myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. So, um, I guess I would just like to say here that I hope at least the legendary account, I think we have good, just as a literary device, the way the Gospels are written, that Jesus was not a legendary figure, that we can actually believe the story as we're going to go through it here in the Gospel of John. Now, we're going to struggle with the words and see if we can come to some um, better distinction here among these categories. So, uh, read the first two chapters of John for next week. All right, let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you so much that um, we do have um, uh, a book that uh, books that you are obviously intensely involved in, books that are meant to be relevant for us today. So um, as we seek to know you better, uh, please come close to each one of us that the, the stories become not just events that happened a long time ago, but they become very real and personal and life-changing uh, for each individual. Amen. <coughs>